in this morning. We'll reference several other things this morning, but that's where we're going to spend most of our time. As you are turning there, I want to ask you a couple of questions. First question, I want you to ask, or I want to ask, what is the biggest gift you've ever been given? I asked my wife this question yesterday, and she was pretty quick to respond. She said, oh, a car. For many of you in the room, that's probably a similar answer if I had my guess, but her parents gave her a car when she was 16 so that she could drive around. I'm sure that was a gift for both her and them because now they didn't have to uh, tote her around quite as often, right? And then, and then I asked another question. I would ask the same question of you this morning. What is the best gift you've ever been given? If you know my wife, th- this first answer will not surprise you. She was pretty quick to go, oh, the coffee machine. <sighs> If you know me or my wife, you know that we are self-proclaimed coffee snobs. You don't have to tell us. We'll tell you. Um, In fact, if you bring me a cup of Folgers or Maxwell House, it will be an insult to me. So uh, if that insulted you, then I'm sorry. I'm going to pray God would change your heart soon. We We shall see. The second answer she gave me was her ice cream machine. If you have ever been to my house for dinner, or maybe even not dinner, we'll do it for breakfast sometimes. Uh, My wife loves to make ice cream. She has been perfecting her craft for the last, like, six or seven years. And so her quick response of the coffee machine and the ice cream machine, um, it it made me laugh a little bit. But it also was just kind of this this fun thing where where I got to recognize the things that bring her joy, right? And I I tried to turn both of those questions around on myself. And I was sitting there thinking about what are the, man, what's the best gift that I've ever been given? And man, the thing that came to mind was not just a couple of months ago for my birthday, but about a year and uh, a couple of months ago for my 30th birthday, uh, my wife had called um, and and or gotten hold of uh, a lot of different men in my life, whether they were men in my life from today or from years back. And uh, she had asked them to write me a letter of encouragement and affirmation. Uh, And so I'm waking up November 11th and I'm coming out and I'm getting ready to make my good cup of coffee, not the bad stuff, but I'm coming out to make my good cup of coffee so that I can get ready and go to work. And I walk out there and our living room table, or I'm sorry, our our kitchen table has got 20 letters strode across it. Uh, I proceeded to open those and cry like a baby for several, several, several minutes. And then I had to try to gather myself so I could go into the plant. Because going into the plant looking like you've been crying, it's not a good look. Uh, if you have been in the plant, you know what I mean. But I just remember that vividly. And, and I'm sure there will be, if I, if I think back, there are others. But it's just one that, man, brought me a lot of joy. And was something that, that, man, has meant a lot to me. And that I'm super thankful for. I want you to think about the, the, the biggest, maybe the best gifts that you've received as we kind of walk through this story this morning. Um, I hope that as we kind of come to the end that you'll kind of see where that ties back in. But if you've gotten there, I hope you have at this point. Uh, Mark chapter 14, I'm going to start in verse 1. I'm going to read a couple verses and talk and then we'll read through the rest of it. Verse 1, it was two days before the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. The chief priests and the scribes were looking for a cunning way to arrest Jesus and kill him. Not during the festival, they said, so that there won't be a riot among the people. I want to stop right there for just a minute. I mainly want these two verses to kind of set the stage for us of where we're at, right? The, the, the gospel of Mark is this narrative that's telling the story of Jesus and his time here and what he's done and, and a lot of the surrounding things. Well, we are at the point where the leaders of the, the Jews, the chief priests here are, are fed up. They're done. They're tired of Jesus and his mess. 
And, and if we think back to a lot of the passages that, that have been preached through in Mark over the last year, man, we see example after example of the Jews specifically, like the leaders of the Jews coming in and they want to they uh, question Jesus. They want to try to make him look bad. They want to try to um, basically like, make people not want to hear what he has to say and discredit him. And every time that they actually attempt to do that, quite frankly, the opposite happens. Jesus normally ends up making them look bad. He ends up doing something that just displays his, his wisdom, his knowledge, his, um, man, his, his deity in some pretty tangible ways. I'm going to try to fix this. I'm sorry, y'all. So as we continue on and as we see, they are tired of this. In fact, we can even think back a couple of chapters. Greg actually preached just a few weeks ago where Jesus literally went into the temple. And what did he do? He spent all day flipping over tables. And so we can just see these, a lot of these different examples as we go through the gospel narrative where Jesus has just done things that make these people look bad and are frustrating and are causing them all kinds of issue and concern. And so these first couple of verses just set the stage that they're done. They're ready to literally end Jesus in whatever way they can. So um, Matthew, or sorry, Mark chapter uh, 14, we're going to pick up back in verse uh, 3. Actually, hold on just a minute. I'm going to trade out. Let's try again. Mark chapter 14. We're going to go to verse 3. Hopefully, I don't do that again. All right, verse 3. While he was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured it on his head. But some were expressing indignation to one another. Why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they began to scold her. Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a noble thing for me. You always have the poor with you and you can do what is good for them whenever you want. But you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body in advance for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Verse 10, then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. When they heard this, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he started looking for a good opportunity to betray him. Pray with me, if you will. God, as we come to you this morning, Lord, I am so thankful for your word. Lord, I'm thankful that, that you give us this opportunity to gather together on Sundays and, and, and worship you together corporately. Lord, I'm thankful that we get to sing songs of praise to you. I'm grateful that we get to open your word together and wrestle through it. Lord, I pray this morning that you would, you would do work in our hearts and you would bring us to this point of just Adoration is this place of all, this place of gratitude for who Jesus is and what he's done. But we pray these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
as we look to this story, I want to I do a couple things. Number one, obviously, uh, we are blessed with the Gospels. And the cool part about the Gospels is there's four different accounts, right? So many of the stories in Mark are told in other accounts of the Gospels. And so in this case, uh, John, uh, in the Gospel of John, we have this same story given in a slightly different way by somebody else's perspective, right? So I'm going to reference a couple things from the, 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 from the account in John, because I think it gives us some detail that, man, help us get to the heart of Judas, and I think help us get to the heart of Mary, uh, which I think are some pretty cool pictures that we get to actually look at this morning. So as we walk through, I'll talk about some things, and I'll pull in some of the things from John. That's where I'm getting them. Uh, it's John chapter 12 is where that account is. So afterwards, I would definitely encourage you, go read John chapter 12. Go read Mark 14 again and wrestle through um, this next week. So, so let, let's set the stage. So number one, in the Mark account, we see it says this woman had brought an alabaster jar and broke it and poured it over his head. In the John account, we see that woman is Mary. Not Mary, her, not Mary his mother, but Mary, the sister of Martha, the sisters of Lazarus. If you know the story of Lazarus, uh, great. If you do not, let me give you a quick, quick, quick rundown that will not at all do it justice, but hopefully paints a little bit of a picture. Mary and Martha were, were, were worried about their brother because he had drawn sick and, and, and Mary and Martha knew Jesus from before and they were, they were worried about him being sick so much so that they sent somebody to go find Jesus. That person came to Jesus, told Jesus, Jesus is bothered enough that he stops what he's doing in his ministry in John chapter 11 and, and says, hey, we're going to Bethany to see Lazarus and to see Mary and Martha. And so they drop what they're doing, they leave and they go and they go to where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were. But by the time Jesus gets there, anybody know what had happened? Lazarus has died. And so he shows up, and, and Martha comes out to meet him, and, and Jesus gives her some assurance. And then he says, hey, go get Mary and also meet me at the tomb where Lazarus is. They get to the tomb, and literally, when they get to the tomb... Jesus says, move the stone away so that I can go in. And Martha says, it, it literally stinks because he's been dead for four days, Jesus. And Jesus says, do you trust me? Do you believe me? And so they, they roll the stone away or they, they move the stone so that Jesus could enter into this actual tomb. And then Jesus literally raises Lazarus from the dead. So that Mary, the, the sister of Lazarus, that Martha, the sister of Lazarus, and Lazarus are all in the room at this dinner that we're reading about. In fact, the, the, the account in John actually seems to indicate that they probably threw this dinner for Jesus, almost as this like, thank you to Jesus and what he had done for them. And so... I want us to think about a little bit here. Number one, uh, there's also some anticipation, some angst, some, some like worry about what is going down bigger picture, right? Because what did we just read the first couple of verses of this to be about? What's about the fact that the chief priests are fed up with Jesus? And so Mary, Martha, and Lazarus have just seen Jesus do another miraculous thing that probably would have drawn crowds again. And they have some amount of like angst and, 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 and stuff that they, I gotta say thank you because I, I don't even know how long he's gonna be able to stay in Bethany, whether it be because he just has to move on to a different city or whether it be because he is gonna be taken by these guards or I, I don't know, but something's gonna happen. We, we wanna say thank you. And so it, it seems to indicate that they literally threw him a dinner, the house that they threw him a dinner at, 
Anybody notice whose house it was? Simon the leper? Probably not a leper any longer. Otherwise, they're not sitting at his house doing dinner. So yet again, another person who was willing to open up their home to to host a, a feast for Jesus and for his disciples and more than likely just want to be able to say thank you, right? Like that's the kind of, the, the, the set that we're, that we're looking at. That's, that's the, the, the context around what is going on in this evening. And so Martha has spent her time getting ready for this dinner and preparing so that, man, there would be just a, a time for them to come together and eat together. It says in the uh, John account that Lazarus was reclining at table with Jesus. So we see all of this going on. And then we see Mary break in in the middle of what would have been this dinner and come in with this alabaster jar. And it says that she broke it and poured out the perfume onto Jesus's head. And, and, and you know, we, we see actually just a second later, right, that some of them were expressing indignation. In the John passage, we see that person that started the conversation or that was most vocal was none other than Judas Iscariot. He was the one that had expressed indignation and was frustrated at the fact that Mary would bring in this jar of, of perfume. Now, now, let's get a little bit of context here. That jar of perfume worth over 300 denarii. Well, I don't have a clue what denarii are, but that's fine. One denarii, about one day's wages, right? There's 365 days in a year. They work six days a week. So we're talking about a whole year's worth of wages in this jar of perfume that they've got. And Mary has just walked in the room during dinner, probably interrupted dinner in a way that uh, would have definitely not been customary or appropriate, more than likely, because she probably interrupted and, and she probably had no business maybe even being in there, much less actually uh, interrupting. Interrupts dinner, brings in this jar of very, very expensive perfume and decides to break the jar and pour every bit of it out on Jesus' head. And Judas goes, why are you wasting that? What are you doing? Like, that, that's excessive. Why, why would you do this? Like, we could have sold that. Then we could have just given that money to the poor. Like, there's better things we could have done with this. Why are you wasting this? Now, I think that when we hear the name Judas, it's probably easy for us to go, well, we know he was a thief. We know that he was very greedy. In fact, so much so that at the end of this, right, the last few verses, what does it say? He says he's going to go to the chief priest and he's going to agree to betray Jesus in exchange for what? Just a little bit of money. The amount that we can find out later of how much it was. I, I, I don't know how you put a price on that, but, but he literally had a price tag in his head that it was worth. And so he said he'd do it if he could get that kind of money. So, so we, we, we definitely understand. We don't, I don't want to be like the Judas figure in this story. I can promise you that. I don't want to have the heart of Judas. I don't want to be greedy. Uh, but man, I guess the question's a valid one. Why, why would we not want to sell that and give this money to the poor? Like, it's a little bit of a hard question to, to kind of wrestle through and think about. Because in my mind, I'm, I'm one of those people that really like to be able to, to, to tangibly put a good price tag on this and understand and see if it's really worth it. Like, I think that mindset at times can be a good thing for us so that we're wise with our funds and wise with the things that, that, we, that, we, that we spend and that we give our resources to. And so like, man, maybe, maybe we should ask the question. But 
Let's read Jesus' uh, response. Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a noble thing for me. You always have the poor with you and you can do what is good for them whenever you want. But you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body in advance for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Let me, let me get one thing out of the way really quick. This passage and Jesus' response and what Mary does and, and, and whatever, the, the, even the question being asked, uh, as believers, this does not give us the excuse to all of a sudden not give to the poor. Let me just clear that up right here, right now. That's not what this does, right? Because we've got all of, the, all of the gospel of Mark to this point. It feels like every single week, what are we talking about? Jesus taking care of those that are poor, taking care of those that are powerless, taking care, loving on, providing for in a tangible way, those that are sick and are hurting. So, so let's clear that up right off the bat. That's not what this is indicating to us. In fact, Jesus is like, you always have the poor. You're gonna continually have the opportunity to do that. And there's even an indication here of like, hey, you should continue to do that, but you don't always have me. So we can see Judas's heart here. There is pride, there is greed, there is this obvious just, um, Judas was not actually asking why she would do this because he actually just wanted to give all the money to the poor. That was not his heart. We actually see in the John account, it literally says he was greedy and he knew that if he could sell this, then he would get to pocket some of the money and still give some of it to the poor. That was his heart. So here's what I want us to think about. I want us to shift back and I want us to think about Mary's heart for a minute. Because it, I, think it's so, I think it is most important for us to understand that because Jesus literally says, truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Mary's heart is so important here that Jesus literally says, wherever the gospel is proclaimed, so will her story be told. That's a big deal. Jesus is told, is, is choosing to, 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 to say that literally this woman's heart towards me and what she has done needs to be told for forever. It must be a big deal, right? So here's what I want us to do. I want us to go back and I want us to think about Mary's heart right now. I want us to think about the context. I want us to think about what she's thinking, what she's feeling, what she's actually doing. Again, why were they even throwing this dinner, does it seem? Throwing this dinner because Jesus had literally raised Lazarus from death, Lazarus from death to life. Mary and Martha had 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 been like already in the grieving process four days in. They had been going through the grieving and mourning process. It indicates that there were literally already like mourners with them, right? Because at the time when you when when, when someone died, you would you would grieve and mourn for a specific amount of time, and people would like shift work, literally come in and grieve with you, sit with you and cry with you and mourn with you. They were four days into that. And Jesus shows up and he raises Lazarus from the dead. Can you imagine like the, the, the trauma of watching your brother die and then like the, the, the just overwhelming nature of watching someone come to life? 
Four days after, literally it says that they had to tear the linens off of Lazarus because he had already been like wrapped up and put in a tomb. Like Mary has went through that. And Martha, Mary, and Lazarus feel so just overwhelmed with, with, with gratitude and with all of what Jesus has done that they say, we want to give you a dinner. And so Martha spends all day cooking and trying to prepare so that she can honor Jesus in some sort of way by providing a meal for her or for him. And then Lazarus is reclining at table. You can imagine he is probably just sitting there, has probably said thank you 14,000 times at this dinner. It's probably literally annoying to the room at this point. And Mary breaks in in the middle of this and brings this jar of perfume. And mind you, number one, it would have been inappropriate for her to walk in the room and interrupt in the first place. But also, just what she did doesn't actually make a lot of sense. Right? When you have perfume, what do you do? One little spray, right? They would have had to use more than us, but they still would never have done something like this. It was still something where you would take a dab of it, use it to, 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 to make yourself presentable for an important night or something along those lines. And Mary does something totally different. She takes this very, very precious perfume and she breaks the jar and she pours it all out on Jesus. She pours it all on his head. The John passage actually says she poured it on his feet as, as well. And then it says she took her hair, a, a symbol for her of beauty and of honor, and wiped Jesus' dirty, nasty, smelly feet with her hair and that precious perfume. Mary has come to Jesus with all just awe and, and gratitude for what Jesus has done for her. Just in this place of absolute, like, I don't know what else to do but give you everything that I have got. Because the gift that you gave me, I, 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 I can't even fathom this right now. And so she's come in this room with a heart of just gratitude toward Jesus and brings in this precious perfume, probably the most valuable, most precious thing that she owns. More than likely, this was an heirloom that had to be passed down because she's not made enough money and her family has probably not made enough money just in this generation to really have that much. And she says, I'm gonna bring the most precious thing I have. I'm gonna break this jar and every single drop is gonna go so that I could honor Jesus in some sort of way. Mary has come and is coming to, to, to literally bring what she has. In fact, Jesus' response right there, right, his rebuke, he says in verse eight, she has done what she could. That's a small statement, but it reminds me back just a chapter and a half, Mark chapter 12. I'm gonna read verse 41. Sitting across from the temple treasury, he watched how the crowd dropped money into the treasury. Many rich people were putting in large sums. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two tiny coins worth very little. Summoning his disciples, he said to them, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into, tre into the treasury than all the others. For they all gave out of their surplus, but she gave out of her poverty. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had. We see Mary here walk in the room with some sort of urgency and some sort of like just 
she, she knows that she has got to do something to just show her gratitude and, 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 and just display that, that Jesus is worthy of this honor and this glory. And, and, and she wanted him to know that she felt that appreciation. She wanted the whole room to know. She believed that Jesus was worthy of literally anything that she had physically and more. The poor widow dropped in her last two coins because she said it's worth it. To honor, to glorify, to, to worship God is worth literally everything that I could ever bring to the table. It doesn't matter how much worldly value you were to put on it. And so as we think about the gift that Mary brings and, and, and does here, we, we, we see her just literally understand the context of the fact that Jesus is in his last days with them, whether that meant he just had to run off and go to some other city to hide, if you will, or whether they knew already and understood very clearly that, no, he was literally going to probably be taken into custody and die very soon. Whether they understood that full picture or not, she knew there was some urgency here. She also knew that he had given her a gift that like just was beyond even her wildest imagination. And so throughout the last several really days, because I, I've been reading and listening and, and thinking for, for weeks now, but throughout the last three or four days, man, I, I just began to think about a little bit bigger picture and to think about really the context of what Jesus was doing, right? Because verse, verses one and two, the Pharisees are done with him. They're tired of him, right? And we see this anointing. And then we think about what happens next because Judas walks out of the room and, and is mad because he got rebuked by Jesus again, apparently, and says, okay, that's it. I'm just gonna go to the chief priest. It's time. I'm willing to betray him at this point. It's done. They'll pay me a little bit of money. This will be worth it. I couldn't make the money off of, the, off of this expensive perfume, but I can make some money off of Jesus's head. And so we are in the final days. And, and I sit here and I thought about like, what is Jesus going to do? We're, we're, gonna, we're gonna next week sit through uh, the, the teaching of the, the, the Lord's Supper, the Passover meal that would become communion. And Jesus is gonna lay out for them what's about to happen. And then that night, Judas is gonna do what? He's gonna go and he's gonna do the final step of literally betraying Jesus and saying, he's gonna be here. Y'all can go pick him up. I'll, I, I, I'll let you know which one he is with a kiss. And those guards were gonna come and they were gonna beat him. They were gonna mock him. They were gonna spit on him. They were gonna torture him until they would literally put him on a cross. And as I thought about that, and as I thought about what, as I thought about what Mary's heart was, I began to also sit here and just have to wrestle with, like, what if God's thought process about Jesus was that gift might be a little too lavish. That might be a little too much. They're probably not worth this. God chose to send Jesus and he chose to do it in a way that Jesus would have to come and, and, and be a sacrifice on our behalf. And, and let me just tell you something. We are not worthy of that. And so 
as we sit here and we look at, at, at Mary and, and we look at what she did, I, you know, I've been asked the question before, and I'm sure if you've been in church for um, any extended period of time, you've probably been asked the question before, like, hey, you know, if Jesus asks you to go give everything away and, and, and live like, you know, you have nothing, would you be willing? And I think it's a valid question to ask, but if I'm transparent, right, there's been many times in my life where it's like, well, that's just a guilt trip waiting to happen. Like, how do I deal with that? Like, what, am I just supposed to do it today? Or like, do I wait? Like, what, 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 I don't know what to do with that. Look, here's what I want us to see. Like, when I begin to see what Mary had went through and then her response to that, what I realize is that she was joyful in being able to give Jesus a gift or, or display the fact that she wanted to honor and glorify him with literally everything she had. And so I think the, the, the thing that brought her to that place to, that, that, that would have shaped her heart in that way where she felt like she could do that is an absolute gratitude for what Jesus had done for her. And so as I just began to wrestle through this passage and the ones that we're gonna study over the next few weeks, I began to just have God reveal to me what the real best gift I've ever received was. And I began to just be brought to this place of just humility and gratitude and, and just awe of the fact that God would choose to give a gift that I was not worthy of. And he would make a way through Jesus coming and, and dying on the cross and being sacrificed for me. And so church, here's my question. I see Judas in this story and I see his heart and I see this pride and this greed and this arrogance about like what is the best thing to do with these funds or with this, this precious item that, that could have been sold for funds. And, and, and let me just tell you, I, I, I asked the question when I first started reading this passage of like, well, why wasn't it a good idea for them to sell it and do something better with it? There is nothing better in the entire world than we can do than to bring honor and glory to Jesus, period. It's literally what we were made for. So does that mean we have the excuse today to go out and buy some precious perfume and break it over somebody's head? Context is a little different, probably not. But let me just tell you, we better be very, 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 very careful. When... when when others around us are trying to do things and, 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 and making an attempt to try to bring honor and glory to Jesus in ways that maybe sometimes don't make sense to us, that don't look uh, like the wisest move, we need to be careful. Because just to be completely transparent with you, the, the lifestyle and the things that we're called to are not going to look wise or smart to the world. <laughs> The sacrificial giving that we're called to as believers don't make sense to the world around us. And so I, I, would, I, would, I would urge you, I would, I would uh, ask you to think about your heart. Think about the... Man, are you at a place where you are just in awe of and, and, and brought to a place where you are so so thankful for what Jesus has done for you that you understand that literally I could hand everything away and if it was to the glory of God, then man, I'm ready and I want to.
it's a, we have a beautiful opportunity this morning because we're going to actually get to join together and we're going to get to take communion together this morning. So we're actually going to get to celebrate the, what Jesus did tangibly. Like we're going to get to take of the bread and we're going to take of the cup together. And so I, here's a couple of things. Number one, if you do not believe that like Jesus really did come and he really did live and he really did like be taken into custody and, and was mocked, spit on, beaten, tortured, hung on a cross and died. And that, that sacrifice really was God's way of making uh, us right with him. If you don't believe that, don't take with us this morning. Because when we take this, we're declaring out loud, we're declaring in a very physical, tangible way, hey, I believe that. Like, that's what we're doing. And so if you don't believe that, don't take because you're, you're taking a lie. <laughs> that's what you're doing. If you do, whether you're a member here or a guest here, we would love for you to take communion with us this morning. And, and I hope and pray that as we take this morning, that we would be reminded and that it would bring us to this place where we would, we would just be brought to a humble place of, of, of just awe and adoration for a God who would choose to give a gift that didn't make any sense, that was way excessive, that was way lavish, and that, that was way too much. But yet he chose to send Jesus. And that God would move in your heart and you would be brought to a place of gratitude where you literally want to give back anything and everything that he would ever ask. Let's pray. God, we love you so much. I am so thankful for Mary's heart. I'm so thankful for the poor widow's heart. I'm so thankful that, God, you give us these examples of these women and these stories that display for us in such a tangible way uh, an all-out gratitude for who you are and what you've done for us that, that don't make sense, but that God just display practically that you are worthy of everything that we could ever give and then so much more. And that there is no, there is no physical thing that we could bring to the table that, that, man, if it could honor and glorify you, it's worth it to give. God, I pray this morning that as we take communion, that we would, we would come to the table, we would come, we would come to you to a place of just gratitude for what you've done. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the examples in your gospel that just show us so plainly how great of a gift Jesus was. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name.